This week's episode is brought to you by me, Kevin Yee, the author of the annual Walt Disney World yearbook series. The 2013 book should be on sale pretty much any day now. Welcome to Communicore Yeekly, the greatest online show. I'm Kevin Yee. And I'm Jeff. You know, it's been a really crazy year, but we finally come to the season two finale of Communicore Yeekly. Yeah, really crazy. And you still haven't given George back yet. Is he even still alive? Oh, I wouldn't worry about that. You see, what I haven't been telling you, Jeff, is that George is actually... Hello? Can you hear me? Ah, uh, ah. Uh, I'm sorry, I patched you guys into the wrong timeline. That was my fault. That one truly is a dark timeline, but there is another, really a much darker timeline. Some would say the darkest of timelines, and I must find it. I need to continue my search, so listen, I'm just going to patch you guys into the closest, safest timeline, and you can just go on about your day. And that is who B. Jones actually is on the mailbox of a Living with the Land ride. <laughs> that is amazing. We've been really trying to find the answer out forever, so excellent detective work there, George. Yeah, well, you know, don't thank me. Thank the massive amount of ephemera that I picked up from a friend down at Walt Disney World, you know, a few weeks ago. The answer's been in plain sight all along. I'm just glad I was finally able to see it. You know, there's really nothing like solving a Communicore Weekly mystery to help us kick off the Season 2 finale, huh? Yeah, you betcha. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's get on with the show. It's time for Disney History. Michael Eisner was born on March 7, 1942, in Mount Kisco, New York. Now, Eisner was pretty much uh, destined for greatness because his entire family was extremely successful before he came along. Uh, his father, Lester Eisner Jr., he was a lawyer and a regional administrator of the United States Department of Housing and Urban Development. And his mother, Margaret, was the president of the Irvington Institute, which was a hospital that treated uh, children with uh, pneumatic fever? Is that how you say it? Rheumatic. Rheumatic fever, excuse yeah. me. Pneumatic fever is what they get in the Cars universe. Oh, right. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. My bad. Um, his great-grandfather, Sigmund Eisner, he actually established a very successful clothing company and was one of the first uniform suppliers to the Boy Scouts of America. And his great-grandmother, Bertha uh, Weiss, she belonged to the immigrant family that established the town of Red Bank, New Jersey, which is my old stomping grounds. Well, at least something good came out of there. Yeah, but better one thing than nothing at all. <laughs> so, obviously, he spent most of his upbringing uh, on Park Avenue in Manhattan, of course, because where else would they live? Um, he graduated from Denison University in 1964 with a BA in English and as a member of the Delta Upsilon fraternity. After that, he went to work, really, for very briefly, for both NBC and CBS. And soon after, he was hired by Barry Diller to be the assistant to the National Programming Director at ABC. And because of his hard work and his good business sense, it didn't take long for Eisner to move up the ranks and eventually uh, becoming a senior vice president in charge of programming and development. 
Now, in 1976, Eisner was recruited by uh, Diller yet again, who was now the chairman of Paramount Pictures. Uh, he, Diller, he made Eisner president and CEO of the movie studio. And during his time at Paramount, the studio really, they turned out a lot of massive hit films such as Saturday Night Fever, Grease, uh, a lot of the Star Trek uh, franchise, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Beverly Hills Cop. By the way, don't put a banana in a tailpipe. <laughs> Another helpful tip from Communicore Weekly. Yes, it is. So uh, when Diller left Paramount in 1984, Eisner, uh, he kind of expected to assume Diller's position as a studio chief. And when he didn't get the job, he left to look for work somewhere else. Lucky for us. Yes, okay. exactly. Anyways, it was at this same time that the Walt Disney Company had been narrowly surviving many takeover attempts. Uh, something had to be done to help save the company. So uh, the major shareholders, Sid Bass and Roy E. Disney, son of Roy O., brought in Eisner as CEO and chairman of the board and former Warner Brothers chief Frank Wells as president uh, to replace Ron W. Miller in 1984 and hopefully strengthen the company. Now, I, I think it's no secret to Disney fans everywhere that during the second half of the 1980s and well into the 90s, Disney was, uh, they were pretty much revitalized. And it began with films like Who Framed Roger Rabbit in 1988 and The Little Mermaid in 1989. And after that, the animation studio began enjoying a string of successes, uh, both with the fans and the critics and commercially at the box office. They were making a lot of money. Um, and Disney also, it, they expanded their reach even more. Uh, underneath Eisner's tenure, and they acquired Miramax Films in 1993, and later the television networks ABC and ESPN. So, in the early part of the 1990s, Eisner and his partner set out to plan the Disney Decade, which was to feature new parks around the world, expansions in existing parks, uh, brand new films, and new media investments. And while some of the proposals were completed, many of them fell flat. Uh, a few of the ones that were successful and I used that term lightly at first, included Euro Disney, which is now called Disneyland Paris, the Disney MGM Studios, now called Disney's Hollywood Studios, Disney's California Adventure Park, now known as Disney California Adventure, and Disney MGM Studios Paris, which eventually opened in 2002 as Walt Disney Studios Park. Um, no mention of Disney's Animal Kingdom. Oh, that, that's because it was done later on under other people and it was awesome. Because no, it was eight. No, no, it was it was successful from the start. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. That's where okay, I was that's what it is. See, because all the other parks they kind of were okay. Eh, they, they were, were halfway okay. successful. See, all these other parks they had different names at first, and then they were changed. <laughs> but Disney's Animal Kingdom always the same name, always the best full day park, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. right okay. Tell us about Frank. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately, Frank Wells, he died in a tragic helicopter crash in 1994. And when Eisner did not appoint uh, Walt Disney Studios chief Jeffrey Katzenberg to Wells' position, Katzenberg resigned and formed DreamWorks S SKG with partners Steven Spielberg and David Geffen. And Eisner, in a lot of ways, he really tried to position himself as this generation's Walt Disney. I'm using that in quotes. His, this generation's Walt Disney. Um, he even brought back the wonderful world of Disney with himself as the host, kind of like Walt Disney did uh, mm -hmm. back in the 60s. Um, Eisner, he recruited his friend uh, Michael Olvitz, uh, one of the founders of creative art artist agencies. He recruited him to be president, and he had kind of no involvement from Disney's board of directors when he did that, because they, they were not too happy about that. Um, but Ovid's time there was pretty much a, a disaster, and he only lasted about 14 months, and then he left Disney in December 1996. 
Yeah. So at this point, Eisner's decisions weren't really sitting too well with the board, nor with the rest of the company. And in 2003, Roy E. Disney, the son of Disney co-founder Roy O. Disney, resigned from his position as Disney vice chairman and chairman of the Walt Disney Feature Animation for a multitude of reasons, including Eisner's micromanagement flops, both with ABC and the films, flops in the theme parks, and Eisner's refusal to establish a clear succession plan, plus the string of box office movie flops. Yeah, they, they weren't doing too hot there for a while. Nope. But uh, at Disney's annual shareholders meeting in March 2004, a surprising and unprecedented 43% of Disney shareholders who were rallied by uh, board members Roy E. Disney and Stanley Gold, they, they withheld their proxies to re-elect Eisner to the board. And Disney's board then gave the chairmanship position to former U.S. Senator George Mitchell. Uh, however, the board did not immediately remove Eisner as chief executive of the company. Yeah, but a year later, on March 13, 2005, uh, Eisner announced that he would step down as CEO uh, one year before his contract actually expired. So it took until September 30th of that year before Eisner resigned both as an executive and as a member of the board of directors. Eisner severed all formal ties with the company. Eisner's replacement was his longtime assistant, Bob Iger. Now, after he was laying low for a couple of years, Eisner returned to the business again in 2006 to host Conversations with Michael Eisner, uh, which was a talk show. Uh, and that was because he successfully filled in for an episode of The Charlie Rose Show in 2005, and somebody said, hey, you're pretty good at this. Why don't we give you your own talk show? Um, but his show, Conversations with Michael Eisner, it featured most CEOs and political leaders and artists and actors, including Chuck Norris and Frank Gehry. And uh, Eisner was also an executive producer of the show. In March 2007, Eisner's investment firm, the Tornante Company, or I guess it could be Tornant. I think I really it's Tornant. Let's go with Tornant. Let's go with Tornant, yeah. Uh, they launched a studio called... Jeez. I'm sorry. These, all these are really hard to pronounce. <laughs> Vuguru. It's V-U-G-U-R-U. Or it could be Vuguru. I'm going to say Vuguru because... Vuguru. Vuguru sounds bad. Um, so Vuguru, and it was established to produce and distribute videos for the internet. And in October 2007, Eisner again, through the Tornant Company, partnered with Madison Dearborn Partners to acquire the Tops Company, you know, the bubblegum and the collectibles firm. He produced a mockumentary-style show about his takeover of the Tops Company called Back on Tops. With two P's. Oh, anyway, so his studio, uh, Vuguru, produced it, and the episodes aired exclusively with Fox Sports, although the episodes are currently available on Hulu. Now, these days, a lot of people give Eisner a lot of flack, and people look back at him and say what a terrible person he was to Disney. Um, meanwhile, and I, I've said this many, many times before, I say the complete opposite. I mean, he had a lot of misfires in the second half of his regime at Disney, um, but if, if it wasn't for him, Disney as we know it today wouldn't exist. Uh, he and Frank Wells, they really brought the company back to its feet again, and beyond that, um, and they really made it great again. I think he did an excellent job, and I mean, mm -hmm. the College of Education at California State University in Northridge um, is actually named in his honor, and he was even inducted into Television Academy Hall of Fame in 2012, so he really can't be all that bad, right? Right? Let's let's hope so. Or wait a minute. We already know. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. 
So for this week, Jeff's uh, Book of the Week, uh, we are looking at Michael Eisner's work in progress released in 1998 by Michael Eisner. Now, I, I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed Eisner's autobiography of sorts. Um, and, it, you know, work in progress gives Eisner the opportunity to really tell his side of the story. You know, it, it's weird because his stories aren't that far off, but since we've heard so many different versions of these tales, you wonder how much... No, no, that's not the right one either. Maybe this one's it. Let's pop in to see. But since we've heard so many different versions of these tales, you wonder how much spin Eisner is putting on them. The book ends in 1998, so it's before his fall from power at Disney. Uh, we see him on the waning edge of his crescendo, and in hindsight, it's easy to see where he's misstepped. Now, when you read Work in Progress, it's kind of overwhelming, mainly because of Eisner's lifestyle and how he acted as CEO. Uh, there was a lot of stress during his tenure, and it really comes across in the book, especially when he talks about his heart issues and the issues with Disney's America, Disneyland Paris, and the whole Katzenberg uh, Ovitz fiasco. Eisner was also a micromanager, and it's, it's obvious, even through his writing. I, I'm not sure that even Walt could have run a company this large and tried to pay attention to every aspect. Still, there is a lot of respect for Eisner. What Eisner and Wells did to turn around and save Disney is, is an incredible story. Uh, one thing I came away from after reading Work in Progress was how privileged Eisner was throughout his whole life. And it's that old adage about, you know, it's really who you know. Uh, his family had great connections and was able to give him the education, travel, and financial backing to get ahead. We do follow his career, though, including the time spent at NBC, ABC, and Paramount well before Disney. I don't want to give too much away, you guys know a lot of the story, but it really is a good read and one that I recommend because it will change your mind a little bit about Eisner and give you a better perspective on his life, uh, especially if you want some insight into the 90s at Disney. It's really a great read for that. It, it was quite tumultuous, and Eisner really pulls back the curtains, at least from his point of view. Uh, one caveat, though, don't read Disney War before or after reading Work in Progress. A lot of these stories will run together. Can, can I jump in? First, I don't usually interrupt your Book of the Week segments, but can I yeah. say something really quick? Yeah, I, you know, considering he was still working for the company at the time, um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at how honest a lot of the book is, yeah. um, like warts and all. And I know it's obviously, you know, one-sided in his favor because he's the one that wrote the book. But I, I think it's a pretty honest portrayal about him. I think he does a good job. Sure, not everything's 100% true because it's the way he sees it. But I, I think it's a great book. I think it made me respect him even more. I agree. But I that's agree. me. That's me. <laughs> I just can't seem to get this right. Maybe I should have taken that left turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> This week's window of the week is located above the Emporium in Disneyland Paris. So in case you're over there, take take a look at it. And it ooh says, "Oh yes, ooh la la, Disneyland Paris." <laughs> the the window says, "Conducted daily, Main Street Marching Band, leading the parade since 1884. Conductors Michael Eisner." Frank Wells, we work while you whistle. 
Now, you already know all about Eisner from our history segment, and you know, Disneyland Paris was Michael Eisner's baby, essentially, and we actually have to th a lot to thank Eisner for at Disneyland Paris. Um, you know, I, they literally broke the bank when they built the park, but only because Eisner pushed them so much to get it right. And though it was a financial flop at first, it is really regarded today as one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful, of all the Magic Kingdom style parks. And for that, Eisner and Frank Wells definitely deserve this window on Main Street in Disneyland Paris. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. So, for the Season 2 finale, we thought we'd share an extra special five-legged goat with you. And this is one we've been saving for quite some time now, and now is the perfect time to share it. Now, when you enter the- Hold on, hold on! What the heck? Jeff! George! Is that you? Who, who is that? I found you! Oh, I hope it isn't too late. I hope this is the correct timeline. What the heck are you talking about? Who are you? Tell me, is, is Eisner still in charge? Has he taken over yet? What are you talking about? Uh, Eisner? M Michael Eisner? Yes, Michael Eisner. Has he taken over? Well, yeah, he's he's taken over the show this week. He He's taken over the show? Dude, relax. He means he's our theme this week for our season two finale. Eisner resigned from Disney back in 2005. He's no longer part of the company. He's, he hasn't taken over anything. Wait. Do you mean to tell me he hasn't come back? Uh, no. C come, come back to where? Oh no, I'm in the wrong timeline again. Okay, seriously, who are you? Yes, of course. You don't know me here. I'm the five-legged goat. I've been sent back in time to right the wrongs that have been done. I'm here to help Jeff and George save the world. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second, S save the world? What? Save the world from whom? That doesn't matter now. I need to get to the correct time. I'm not supposed to be here. The mere act of telling you could drastically alter your future, let alone the one I am trying to save. Perhaps if I travel further back, yes, back to 1966, that's it. Then I can assure plans are set in motion before they even happen. Yes, yes. Fare thee well, Jeff and George, and remember to cherish your squirrels. What the heck just happened? I have no idea, but whatever it is, it sounds like it's a pretty big deal. That's because it is a big deal! Wanna know what the five-legged goat was talking about? Wanna hear how Jeff and George saved the world? Well, now you can with Communicore Weekly, the musical! That's right, cadets! For the first time ever, through the use of patent-pending time travel technology, Hear the true origin story of how Jeff and George were brought together to face the biggest threat that the Disney theme parks and the universe has ever faced, Michael Eisner. So let them bring their armies on, and give me all they got. Now bring me my laser, I'm gonna melt him with a headshot. Clocking in at nearly 45 minutes and featuring all new, all original songs, Communicore Weekly the Musical will have you in stitches when you're not tapping your feet along to the catchy tunes. All that, and for only $2.99. Sounds like a steal! Battle for the Magic Kingdom Bells were ringing, people cheering Everybody started singing in unison 
Now run! Don't walk to iTunes and CD Baby to pick up your copy of Communicore Weekly The Musical and learn how the greatest online show is now the greatest online musical! Hi guys, Jeff here. I just want to let you know this is not a joke. Communicore Weekly The Musical is a thing and it is awesome. We've been working on it for the last seven months and we are super proud of it. You know, we always try to be different from all the other podcasts, and this is about as different as it gets. We wrote an entire musical. By the time you hear this episode, the musical will be available for sale on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, and more. So please, please, please give it a shot, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. It's one of the best things we have ever done, and I know you'll love it as much as we love you guys. So please, download it today. And thank you, every single one of you, for being cadets. And we'll see you next week on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show.